There we go. All right. That's significantly louder. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, last time I was with y'all was in uh, 2018. And on the way home that day, ran into three massive hailstorms. Um, and so when I think of liberty, I often think of um, hail. <laughs> and so, um, you know, it's, uh, it's just one of those memories that are tied together. I got home and my truck had like, basically the windshield was caved in. My truck was totaled. Um, it was also a 20 year old truck. It didn't take a lot of hail to total it, but um, have loved Liberty for a lot of years um, and grateful for the work y'all are doing and your faithfulness here in Dalhart. So if you have your, your Bible or your phone or some device, you'll be looking at the scripture with us this morning. Um, we're gonna be in Galatians, the last verse of chapter five, and then in to chapter six. Um, I know y'all been working your way through Galatians um, for the last several weeks, and you're coming to the end um, where we have seen Paul writing uh, to the church as they are wrestling with right law and burden that's being placed upon them and the freedom that we have in Christ, um, specifically in walking in step with the Spirit. And so let's begin. We're going to read verse 26 of chapter 5. So let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. And let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. And the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so last week, y'all would have um, kind of walked through the, the fruit of the Spirit, being led by the Spirit and what that entails. And what Paul is doing here is he's writing to a church that he knows, that he loves, he knows their issues, their struggles, the individuals involved, is he just begins to give some real practical and concrete ways um, to love and to walk in that. Because we know it's easy to say, hey, you should love people, right? Like that's, it's easy to do, right? We tell it to our kids all the time. You should love your brother and sister. That is easy to say. It is much harder to live out. And so Paul's not going to leave it with this, this blanket, hey, love people. He's going to get into some nitty gritty details, some, some practicalities, some concrete ways, and actually get at the heart of the struggle that we have. Um, and as we talk about this this morning, I want us to consider this also for us individually, but as a church, um, as, our, as a church culture, right? That as folks walk into liberty, what are they, how are they seen and perceived? And do they sense this sort of love from the spirit that Paul's going to walk us through this morning? So beginning in verse 26, he says, so let us not become conceited. This is in contrast, right? With walking in the spirit, he says, let us not become conceited. 
And what he means by conceited here is having like a, an empty, a false, a vain impression of yourself, right? That you don't see yourself rightly. And, and here's the thing is if we don't see ourselves rightly, then we can't see others rightly, right? And so if we see ourselves and we, we, we fail to remember that we needed mercy and grace from God, and that was undeserved, then we begin to look at others and, and feel superior to some and inferior to others. And what we're constantly doing is kind of trying to line up, am I better than you? Oh, I'm worse than you. And if we do that, we're constantly kind of poisoning our own reactions to that person. Because if we believe that we're superior, he tells us, right, we're gonna provoke, we're gonna envy, right? Because if we think we're superior and that person's getting glory or praise, we're like, whoa, wait a second, do you not know who I am? Do you not know how good I am? Why would you be saying anything good about them? Or if we see someone getting praise that we believe we are inferior to, right? We don't feel secure. We feel that insecurity, right? Because we haven't found ourselves rooted in the fact that the king of the universe, the God of creation has said, you're mine. You're an adopted son or daughter of the king. Others' opinion of you, others' approval of you does not, should not sway you because you are rooted in the fact that you belong to me. And so Paul is warning us here that if we don't see ourselves rightly, then we're going to tend to, to categorize people, we're going to provoke them, we're going to envy them. I had a friend of mine, um, we met on the mission field, my wife and I served in the Middle East for, for a couple years. And as, as we were talking, he told me a story one day about being an elementary-aged boy. Um, he was not an American. Um, and, and when he went to his new school, his dad transitioned jobs, transferred a lot. He said the first day, the scrawniest little kid on the playground in his class walked over and just decked him in the face. And he said, so I beat him up. It's like, it's the weirdest thing. He's like, the next day, a slightly less scrawny but still scrawny kid came over and did the same thing. And he said, so I beat him up. And I'm thinking, what's going on? Well, in this school, the culture had developed that you, we had to know where you fit. And so the bully was like, I'm not, the strongest kid's like, I'm not messing with it. They started at the bottom. And kids went in until someone finally beat you and then they knew where to slot you in. Right? And so he's like, so, you know, I beat like all but like six kids and I finally got beat up. And so now they knew where I fit. They slotted me in. We said it wasn't too much longer after that. My dad got transferred. I went to a new school. He's like, well, I don't want to fight everybody again. That was horrible. He's a third grader. And so he walked up, looked for the biggest, toughest kid, walked over and punched that kid in the mouth on the first day. And this school had like that was not their, their policy, not their, their system at all. And they just thought this kid was crazy and mean, right? Because what he was trying to do was trying to figure out, where do I fit? And, and in the end, he ended up provoking someone he did not want to provoke because he wasn't seeing the situation rightly. So church this morning, if we're really going to understand Paul's admonition to us, then we have to understand God rightly and ourselves rightly. That God, being rich in mercy, right, gave to undeserving folks rescue and love. And so that brings humility in us. And so I don't longer see that I have to be better than you 
or I have to be, feel inferior to you, we have level ground because Jesus has rescued us and he has saved us. Now listen, he's equipped us different. We have different things to offer the body, but we see ourselves rightly. And so then we can begin to love one another with the same love that Christ loved us. And so he's gonna then give us some examples. So if we go to verse one, he says, brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, if anyone's caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, right? So who is this addressed to? It's addressed to the church, brothers and sisters. He's saying to you who are part of the church, this isn't just for the elders or for the pastor or for paid staff, right? He says, if you're a part of the church and you notice one of your brothers and sisters and they are caught in sin, you chase after them. You restore them. James says something similar. This is James 5, beginning in verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And so he says, listen, one of the ways that we're not going to provoke and envy, one of the ways we're going to make sure we have a right view of ourselves is that when we see someone in sin, how do we respond? We go after them, right? We don't go over and say, hey, do you see what they're doing? Let's mock them. Let's laugh at them. Let's watch their destruction. It's not that we say, hey, that's their business and we walk away. He says, no, we have a responsibility, church, to pursue them to go after them. Now listen, if you've been in church for any length of time, um, you know that this can happen in ways that are anything but gentle. It can be um, argumentative, it can be destructive, um, we can people can actually feel superior in the way they handle it, and yet Paul tells us. So listen, if they're caught in transgression, you who are spiritual, and what he means by this is you who are walking and being guided by the Spirit, should restore them, how? In a spirit of gentleness. It is pursuit, it is kind, it is gentle, because we know, apart from the grace of God, that's me. And so we wanna go after them. And so the, the idea here, right, is that that initial conversation might inflict some uncomfortable moments. It might actually inflict some pain. But it's, it's the idea of that you're, you're setting a bone that's been broken. You're, you're mending a net that is no longer catching fish, right? You are, you're inflicting a moment of pain, right, so that there can be healing and restoration. It's just like um, discipline. No child is like, Dad, thank you so much for catching me in my sin. Like, I am grateful for the, for the, the discipline that you have meted out today. It was fair and it was gracious. Thank you, O gentle father. Right, that's, that's not how our children respond to this. But there, as, as an 18-year-old, as a 20-year-old, as a 25, as a 30-year-old, you look back on the discipline that your parents or your grandparents offered you, and you're grateful for it. Because you know it took you off of a path of destruction, and it puts you right more on a path of, of life and of healthy relationships. And so this is the idea here. It's not that we are glorying in that we get to shame someone. No, no, it's that we come along and we say, you're on a path of destruction. This is going to lead to your destruction. Brother, sister, 
here. Here's what the word of God says. Here's what we're called to, right? And we begin to walk towards restoration. And so what is the goal? It's not discipline for discipline's sake. It's not shame. What does he say? Restore them. The assumption is that they will be reconciled. They will be restored. And that it will happen through gentleness, through truth, through gentleness. Now listen, this can't happen if we don't know people. We actually have to know folks well enough that we have any voice in their life at all. We have to know them well enough that we can begin to see when from just one degree, right, that their new path is at the moment similar, but it looks like it's going to lead astray. That they don't have to be miles down the road into their sin before anyone notices. That we have to be walking in faithful community with one another. And would we be reminded that their response to that correction, your gentle restoration, is not the benchmark as to whether you did it right or not. Just like you're not waiting for your child to, uh, to affirm and say, yes, Father, continue to discipline me now. You have my permission. Right? We, we do it because it's right and it's true and it's good. That there will be often many times where someone will respond initially not well. But in the end, eventually they're going to say, thank you for the grace you poured out. Thank you that you sought me and you pursued me and you brought me back in to line. But he gives them a warning. He says, but keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. What is, what is, what's the fear of temptation here? It's back to verse 26. Let us not become conceited provoking one another. And he's like, there's a temptation to then feel superior to this person. To go, ah, you poor pitiful person, you needed spiritual me to come in and rescue you. That is not the case. We needed Jesus to rescue us. And if we are a tool, an instrument, an implement in his hand that brings about the restoration of a sister, a brother in Christ, like we are seeing God rightly, we are seeing our role rightly, and we're seeing our brother and sister rightly. So the warning then is not to become conceited, to see God, yourself, and others rightly, living out the fruit of the Spirit in gentleness and kindness and self-control. And so he continues, and he gives a second example, which is really going to be a deeper look at our first one of someone being caught in sin. Let's look at verse 2. He says, bear one another's burdens. So this one feels more general, but really it's, it's, it's a deeper look, number one. So while I was living in the Middle East, um, I had an opportunity to go to the, the ancient city of Petra, which is in Jordan. And one of the ways that you get up to some of the, some of the parts of the city out here in the desert is by donkey. And so my wife and a handful of us were getting donkeys, and they're going to lead us up the mountain with guides. And listen, I'm... I'm a big guy. And they bring out this donkey that's not very big. And, you know, my wife gets a, a big one, and, and I'm like, this, like, my, like, let's move people around. And they're like, no, 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 this donkey is strong. It's sure-footed. It'll be good. And I get on it, and my legs are all, like, my feet are nearly touching the ground. Like, I feel bad for this donkey. And so I'm like, I'm just going to walk. He's like, no, 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 no. Like, because if, if I don't, if I walk, he doesn't get paid, right? So he's like, Put, puts me on the donkey. 
And the, we're going up now this windy road with a mountain on this side and a drop on this side, and this donkey is struggling. And we get about three quarters of the way up, and that donkey's had enough, and he just goes down. And so he rolls up on me, like my head's up over here on the edge, and I'm trying to push this donkey off. And right, like, I'm like, I'm walking the rest of the way. He's like, no, he's good, he's good. I'm like, he's not good, I'm not good, we're walking, right? <laughs> I was a burden to that beast of burden. <laughs> So what Paul is talking about here when he says a burden, that's the imagery I want us to have is, is what is a burden? It's something that looks like it's going to crush someone. That if they, if they don't get help right with that weight, it's going to destroy them. It's going to crush them. It's going to put them on the ground. And so that could be financial. That could be relational, right? Someone who um, has had loss recently or is struggling with loneliness, that could be sickness or disease. That could be a tragic event in someone's life. It could be sin, right? It could be that someone is kind of walking away from Jesus and that you've seen or experienced this where you've seen someone go, man, they are staggering under that weight. Like this experience, this moment, this season of life, it's got them like, where they, I don't know if they're gonna, are they gonna be able to stay upright? And what does Paul tell us? Bear one another's burdens. He's saying, come alongside them and right, take some of that weight off. Carry some of that weight with them. That's what we're doing in verse 1 by pursuing someone who's in sin. Once again, the call is to all of us. He's saying, church family, when you see someone with a burden, help them bear it. Before it destroys them, before they're crushed by it, before it rolls up on them, come in and help them bear it. It's what the panhandle has done the last few weeks with Perryton. Right? It's, it's saying, hey, we're going we're gonna to send people, and we're going to send supplies, and we're going to send money, and we're going to send prayers to help bear the burden of what took place in Perryton. There's been an example of it even here at Liberty over the last few weeks as you've had a, a, a myriad of guest preachers come in. Um, it's not that folks are saying, hey, Liberty, man, we feel so bad for them. It's saying, we love this place. And, and as you search for your future pastor, how can we help the elders in this church bear a little bit of that weight and that burden of a different season as you're pursuing and looking and you're also continuing the ministry and you're preaching? So how can we come in and just take a little bit of weight, right? Just, just a little bit. It's, it's bearing burdens. But there's a risk in West Texas, right? We are glad to help bear burdens. We're glad to help Perryton. We do not want to be the recipient of burden sharing, right? We are, we are strong West Texas folk. We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, right? We, 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 we stopped and said, we're going to farm places where there's no water, right? Like we just like... Like, we just kind of do our thing, and we don't need any help doing it. And, and we then can honestly, we can not ask others. We cannot let others in. We cannot involve others in what's going on. And then we can call it virtuous or Christian. And that is not what Scripture says. We are built for relationships. We are built to be brothers and sisters. We are built to be a family. 
and families walk alongside one another. Families know one another and families help one another. And so what we tend to do, right, is we tend to be the, I'm going to help you carry your burden, right? That's my role. And we love playing that role. And there are a few folks that are like, I'm glad for you to carry whatever burden of mine you want. It's actually really hard to be both. To say, I I want to share your burden when I can. And when I have one, I'm going to gladly take the help too. That's, That's the harder thing for us out here. But what has been happening in the book of Galatians, right? The Judaizers, right, have come in and said, hey, church, burdens, burdens, like they're laying extra law and expectation apart from Jesus. They're putting burdens on people. We see in Matthew 24, 3, the Pharisees, they did this. They, they put burdens on people. And Jesus says, but they don't even lift a finger to help. So the church is being called here to carry one another's burdens, to bear them Together, And he says, if you do this, you are fulfilling the law of Christ, which is what? To love God and to love people. Right? And so as we carry one another's burdens, we are showing love to them. We're not provoking them. We're not envying them. We're seeing them rightly. And we are imaging, right, the character of God who bore our burdens, who has rescued us. And so you are making much of Jesus as you do this, because Jesus came to serve. And as we serve, we are worshiping and showing we have received it, we understand it, and we are glad to pass it on. Why? Because we had a burden that we could not bear, our sin, our guilt, and the wrath of God was coming for us. And Jesus stepped in, living the life that we could not live, that we should have, dying the death that we did deserve, and defeating our enemies of sin and Satan and death, absorbing the wrath of God, and then saying, come, have a seat at the table, son and daughter. Belong, because I have bore your burden for you. And so when we see that and receive it and see that God rightly and see ourselves as recipients, now I am glad to help you carry your burden. Because I don't see myself as inferior or superior to you. And I'm glad to let you help carry my burden because it doesn't make you superior to me. It simply makes us family. And so Paul is writing right practical, concrete ways for us to love one another, knowing that we're going to struggle with this. Right? That, that we're going to struggle, that we want to say, oh, I'm better than these folks and I'm not as good as these. Like, that's not the game he's calling us to. He's calling us to bear burdens, to pursue our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so again, he gives a warning for this one as well. Look at verse 3. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, this is seeing yourself rightly. He's like, you think you've saved yourself? No, 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 you, you, ha- you got undeserved mercy. He's like, he deceives himself. If, if you think you're better, Jesus saved you too, <laughs> right? Like, he's saying, like, think of yourselves rightly here and then he continues look at verse four but let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor what he's talking about in verse four is comparison where he's like listen i know i'm not perfect but have you seen matt i know i'm better than matt right you see how he treats his wife you see how he raises, like, right? Like you start to look at people around you and go, 
I feel justified because I'm a better dad or I'm a better husband or I spend my money better or I'm not always asking for a handout, right? Like we start to look around the room and justify ourselves compared not to Jesus because we know we lose there, right? So we start to look for easier targets and we start to look around the room and go, who am I better than? Uh, that guy's better than me. We're going to forget about him for a second. Who, right? And we start to look for who do I feel superior to? And so he knows our temptation here. And so he says, so if you think you're something when you're nothing, right? You needed the mercy too. You're deceiving yourself. Let each one look at his own work and his reason to boast will be in himself and not in his neighbor. Why? Look at verse five. For each will have to bear his own load. Now listen, that sounds like a contradiction to verse two, right? But verse two is talking about this weighty thing that's honest, it's temporary, right? Verse five is the idea of more of a backpack, like of a, of a personal load. And what is your personal load? You're standing before God. I cannot answer for, for anyone in this room before the Lord. And you can't answer for me. There will be a day where I will stand before God and it will either be as one of his, advocated by Jesus, covered in Jesus' innocence and righteousness because he has paid for my sin and I've trusted and depended upon that, or I will stand there in my guilt and in my shame. And the fact that I was better than you will not be a defense. <laughs> the fact that I was more generous or more, like those things that God's not going, well, you know, you're in the 86th percentile. Like that's, that, like that's not what we're, it's, we are either in Christ or we are opposed to him. And so he says, don't compare yourself to one another for each has to bear his own load and who has rescued us? Jesus. And so we are either innocent and, and blameless in Christ or we are guilty. And where we stand amongst one another has no bearing. And so... Verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another, pursue one another in our sin, bear one another's burdens, because Jesus has given undeserved grace and mercy to everyone who would trust in him. And then he ends this section with what kind of feels like a, a PS list, right? As you're, as you're writing a list and you're going, finishing the letter, and you're like, oh yeah, real quick, a couple of bulleted points, this and this and this. It feels a little bit like that in, in verses six through 10, but they are connected. Look at this, look at verse six. So let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. What's he referring to? He's like, hey, make sure your, your, your pastors are, are provided for so that they can continue to care for and to shepherd and to teach you. This is burden sharing, right? He's like, they're doing, they're helping carry your spiritual emotional burdens. So you help make sure their financial burdens or physical burdens are taken care of. It's burden sharing both way. Verse seven, don't be deceived. Once again, church, God isn't mocked. For whatever one sows, he'll reap. Listen, if any church understood this, right? Dalhart, Texas understands this, right? The what you put into the ground is what you get out. We're not confused by this. We know where our food comes from. But he's talking spiritually here. He says, God isn't mocked. For what you sow, what you plant, 
That's what you're going to reap. And he makes sure that they know he's talking spiritually. Verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And so he's saying, if you begin to plant envy and superiority, like you're gonna, that's the harvest you're going to get. You can know the right thing, but if you're not walking in the fruit and the power of the Spirit, knowing the right thing won't produce the harvest. It is what you actually plant. And so we know that if we, are, if we are planting the word within us, if we are trusting the spirit, if we're obeying the spirit, he's like a godly spiritual harvest will come. But he's like, if you know those are the right things and you can articulate the right things, but what you're actually doing is putting trust in yourselves. You're, you're judging one another. You're not doing things with gentleness. You're not looking to restore. You're just looking to punish. He's like, that's the harvest you're going to get to. And it's going to be destruction. It's going to be difficulty, and it's going to be corruption. So he says, knowing the right thing isn't sufficient. It is walking in it through the power and the enabling of the Spirit of God. And then in verse 10, or sorry, verse 9, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. He's simply calling us to faithfulness, to persevere. Listen, there are seasons of life that last longer than we want them to, right? Especially if they're difficult, if they're tragic, if they're hard, we're ready for those to be quick. But he's like, they're not always. So what do we lean into? What do we trust? One, we trust that God has given us his word with promises that say things like, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That he's Emmanuel, God with us that he doesn't leave us in the refining fire even a second too long. That light and momentary, someday we will say, were the circumstances and the difficulties of life compared to the surpassing weight of glory that's coming for us. He's, he gives us these words and these truths to anchor our soul. He leaves us the spirit to encourage us, to point us to truth, to equip us and to empower us. He leaves us the hope of his return and of a day where every tear will be wiped away where there'll be no more sickness, no more death, no more mourning, no more grief. But he leaves us the church as well to live out the one another's of scripture together, to lock arms and say, we're getting there and we're getting there together. And so when you stagger, when, you're, when that weight is too much for you, I've got you because Jesus has us. And when it's my turn and my knees buckle, you've got me and no one's left behind. Right? He's, he's saying, listen, so I want you to persevere, not grow weary of doing good, for in the right season, you're going to harvest. You're going to get the harvest. You're going to get this, the, the spiritual rewards and benefits. And so in the meantime, we trust God's character, that he is in control and nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted that he is working good in every situation, in every circumstance. And so listen, that sounds great when you're the one helping carry the burden, but what about when you're the one being restored? When it was your sin that's made you want to, can you trust that in that, that, that God has given you a church family and as they've pursued you, that was a grace. It was a grace that he didn't let you run off the cliff but that he put others around you who were willing to have a hard, difficult, awkward conversation. 
to bring your sin to light so that you would continue to pursue Jesus with them instead of saying, that's, that's his choice, that's her choice, they did what they wanted. We would never do that with our children. And we've been called to be a family. We don't do that with one another either. And he ends it in verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. I love that he says, as we have opportunity. Because if we're not careful, this is an overwhelming verse where it's like, do good to everyone. And you're like, oh, my word. <laughs> like, everyone? Like, the whole world? Like, how do I do that? But he says, as you have opportunity. He's not, he's not asking you to do things where there's not opportunity. But he says, listen, as you see need, as you have opportunity, especially to those who are your brothers and sisters in Christ, do good. Bear that burden. Pursue them. Love them. There are some four plus one another statements in scripture that we love one another that we pray for one another that we bear one right like we are we living out the one another's as a family together that this isn't something we just come to on sunday mornings and then we go do our thing for a week but that we are living life together pursuing one another with gentleness making sure that we are our burdens are cared for and so as we walk out of Galatians 6, this section, right, we're asking the Lord, God, would you give me eyes to see burdens that maybe I don't see? Right, I'm so hyper-focused on the way I'm doing things. Help me to look around. Who's not asking for help but needs help? Like, give me eyes to see. We see Jesus doing this, right? If anyone ha had an excuse to say he was busy, it was Jesus, but if you look in Luke, as he is headed to Jerusalem, as he's headed to the cross to rescue us, there's a scene where he is just outside of Jerusalem. And as he's walking through the city, right, the, the crowd is excited. And there were some sick beggars outside the city. And they start screaming, hey, 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 Jesus. And you know what the crowd around them said? Shut up. Be quiet. Stay like they're trying to silence the people who desperately needed Jesus. And Jesus is headed to save us. Like he is busy. And he stops and he turns and he looks at them and he says, What do you need? And he sees them as individuals. He cares for them as individuals. That we would ask that God that we have access to. God, give me eyes to see people. That I wouldn't be so busy with what I've got to do that is so important that I miss the issues, the needs, the burdens that are around me. God, as I do it, would you help me to be intentional? Would you protect my heart from feeling superior? Listen, if you see someone in the church that you just feel like is really good at this, like they just seem to always know what the need is, and you're like, how do they do that? Ask them to bring you along the next time to help, help you see what they see. This begins to change the culture of a church into a place that's safe. It's safe. Ray Ortland, a pastor in Tennessee, says where there is gospel, like there's truth, where there is time, where there is safety, there's transformation. Where people can say, hey, I'm not okay. 
and, and you're willing to walk with them in the midst of their sin and cultivate healthy gospel transformation and culture. You'll notice he says, let the one who has taught the word, what we're teaching is scripture, not West Texas wisdom, not grandma's wisdom. We're teaching the word of God, knowing that it will bring redemption and hope and transformation. Because Jesus has already shown that he would do it because he's done it for us. And now he's equipping us to do it for those around us in our community, the communities around us. That we would not grow weary of doing good and in due season we'll reap if we don't give up. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it it reveals sin and struggle and issues that we have. God, that we, we like to feel better than others. God, would we repent of that this morning? Would we confess that issue? Would we take to heart, God, that we are to be gentle, that we are to be secure in our identity in you, because that affects the way we love and pursue and walk with one another. And so God, would the culture of, of liberty be a place where it is safe to pursue Jesus, where there is grace, where there is kindness, where there is an expectation of restoration and reconciliation, and that where burdens would be shared and carried, not out of arrogance or pride, but out of absolute love and concern and devotion because we have been loved by you first that way. God, don't let us lose our anchor in that. And so, Father, would we not make this passage a moral passage where we either um, succeed at it and so we're better, or we fail at it so we're worse, but that we would simply see it as an opportunity for us to know you and to worship you. And God, we confess we need you or we fail at this. So, Father, would we chew on it? Would we wrestle with it? And would we walk in the power of your spirit in it? In Jesus' name, amen.